0: This is a loving robot podcast, recounting tales from EverQuest directly from the people who worked on it. And now here's your host, Sean Lord.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned you wish you had the old notes or documents from Kunark. Um, I
0: saw some pictures online of somebody who had printed some of them, but I don't know where they came from.
1: Interesting.
0: But yeah, I wish I had my handwritten notes. It was a stack of notes, as I'll explain on your stream, that hung out in a drawer for like a year uh, because uh, Bill Trost had asked me to write up something for Canark. So I, I wrote everything up, and it just it went in a drawer. That wasn't a launch continent. And then uh, with the uh, success of EverQuest, suddenly we were like, hey, we we need more content. So... Canarka was lured out and had all the major players detailed. So we rolled with it.
1: Right on. This is, so this will be another one of the, uh, I might as well just throw this out here now, since people are going to be watching this video. Um, usually I clip them starting at the, Hey, so who are you? And give us your background and all that. And I just go, um, from there, I trim down the, the VOD for later or whatever. Um, but, I've got the feeling with this one, every little every little detail will be exciting to folks. So I'll just probably start it from where we were about five minutes ago. It'll sure. be, make for a you know slightly weird intro, um, but <laughs> people get over it. Um, yeah, I'm, it's funny because I'm almost afraid to bring up a topic because even even what you just mentioned just now, I, I know people are going to sink their teeth into that. Right? They're like. Holy shit. Okay. So you're telling me you wrote this up beforehand? Is sat in a drawer? Our, yeah. our most beloved expansion sat in a drawer for a year? What? Mm. Yeah.
0: And what people don't know is all of that uh, material that I came up with was from various role playing campaigns that I had run, uh, you know, in my youth, probably in high school or something. So I had it, sort of an amalgamation of different campaign worlds from different systems that I ran because I wasn't just running d and I was running Roll Master and uh, GURPS and other other systems. <laughs> and the uh, I think the most important thing that I wanted to do with that uh, continent was to provide a level of darkness or a little bit more of a serious tone than sort of EverQuest had um, currently, right? It was right. it was a lighter, more heroic sort of uh, sort of offering. I wanted to give players a chance to play another evil race, and um, also to to have this fallen empire and ancient runes and ancient magic and necromancy. I felt like that all coming together with some nice. Uh, uh, sort of uh, evil masterminds like uh, veneral sat there mm-hmm. and would would give us a good basis for making really great content um, so that's that was sort of my approach and after writing it it just sat in a drawer for a year or so and then it, it got pulled out and then we started using it in earnest um, I had written maybe a 5,000 year history or something of the of the continent. And then detailed the major players or actors and sort of their relationship with each other. And then the major uh, interesting POIs or places of interest. So sites Mm -hmm. that could be explored like Sebulus or any of the other, uh, the over there, etc. Right. And after writing all that up and sort of what the plots and subplots were and who didn't like who and who liked who, and who was going to be betray who. Uh, then all of that was was designed, took it, and ran with it. And then right. they filled in all the missing spots that I didn't address, any of the micro details, stuff they didn't like, they altered.
1: Right, right. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah, not to fanboy too much, but as you're describing it, it's like goosebumps. We already so maniac twenty five. Thanks for the follow and uh, yeah. I don't I don't know. Um, do you have Twitch open at the moment? I just realized nope. that that's actually helpful. Um, so if you have the ability to throw um, this Twitch stream on a screen, you'll be able to see the questions as they come up. That way, I don't have to like pick all okay. of them for you. It may be a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, so maybe you can put like, it. it on. Yeah, that, I'll get it to you. Um, move this over here.
0: Let's see if the programmer can figure out Twitch.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Probably not. Hey, there's a Twix commercial. That's pretty great.
1: Yeah. Enjoy a commercial on the way in.
0: Can I not see the streaming chat until that ends?
1: Nah, you'll have to once you're in in, then you'll be able to see the uh you'll be able to see the chat. Let me see.
0: Okay, I see my fat hat up in the corner, that's a good sign. What was that? Let's see, it says like Igak, I love the many layers of cebulus That was just a really well designed dungeon. I enjoyed um I enjoyed it thoroughly. That was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean that is um that's one of the one of the most common responses when we talk about like what was your favorite expansion what are your favorite zones all of that in here it's just kunar kunar Kunark. i mean for me it was a mind blower because um before i joined um before i joined sony basically i was just i was somebody that um like i had a skateboard park in alabama um, that I opened when I got out of the army and like somebody recommended the game, I started playing EQ immediately. It was like, right, I've got to drop everything and move to California and be a part of like this company. I don't care what it takes. And, um, so that, that had already happened. Like I'd already like had my mind blown before Kunark. And then when Kunark came out, I think it was during that transition period. And it's like, Holy shit. There's a whole nother continent. And then the themes and everything else were just so good. It was just such a badass expansion that, uh, yeah, it's, it's easy for a lot of us to have it as our favorite. Zima said, uh, did you work closely with the artists who implemented the zones or was that handled by other folk?
0: So the I would say that that portion was handled by other folk. Um, uh, I just drew out on the maps where sort of everything was going to be and details on sort of what it was. Um, so I would, I would put Sebulus on the map and then talked about what it was. And then design came up with sort of um, the block out of what they wanted, and then they would go to art, and art would just implement it. And uh, they were awesome. They they came up with a great tile set, great texturing set for Canark, for that ancient you know a uh, jungle rune sort of feel.
1: Yeah. No, the way it came together was just I mean near perfect. Um the uh so I tell you what, let's and I know some folks that were actually, like, they've been asking me all, all week leading up to this, like, okay, what time's it going to be? And I even put down, like, 10 o'clock, right? So a few people are going to yell at me later for being 30 minutes early. But before we go too much further, I might as well just have you do the, the quick intro on who you are. Those folks already know who you are. Um, and they'll be in here eventually asking questions as well. But uh, I guess if we just do the official sort of kickoff and then let it ride from there, uh, then we're just a little bit early. Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: Kevin McPherson. I've been in the video game industry since 1996. Um, EverQuest was my the second video game that I worked on. The first one was a Rallycross game uh, for PlayStation 1. Um, I had heard about EverQuest because um, we had some new employees, uh, Brad McQuaid and Steve Clover, who were big into magic, and they were playing uh, Magic: The Gathering with John Smedley, and um, got me into it. So, I and other employees would play magic at lunchtime, and uh, he started talking about this project that he was going to do. That was going to be essentially a uh, perma online, um, uh, almost like a Dungeons and Dragons simulator. Uh, and I immediately thought, well, this is going to make an ass ton of money, so I need to be on this project. And I was—I'm a huge role-playing game person, uh, especially on the on the game master side. So I still run campaigns today. And so th- this project appealed to me greatly over continuing on a PlayStation. So I asked for a a transfer over to that project, and luckily got onto it. And so maybe fourth, fifth person on it, and I would say the first year of it before I got on was R and D, and then the, the remaining two years were pretty hardcore, a lot of crunching, a lot of uh, a lot of hard work, and uh, after it shipped, um, Bill Trost gave me a uh, uh, gave me a map and said, "Hey, we don't have anything for this Kunar continent. Do you want to write it up?" I know you're into this kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll write it up. So I had written up, uh, I wish I still had the pages of notes, but a big stack of notes, 5,000-year uh, history of it, and all the major players, the places of interest. And it ended up sitting in a drawer for a year because, um, you know, we were very busy with the live launch. And then it occurred to us, wow, this is incredibly successful and we're going to need more content. And that's where Canark was pulled out of the drawer then, and implemented into the actual expansion, and uh, I would say if I if I look back on maybe one thing that that wasn't great with it, well, two things. There's some red mobs around there, red names that didn't have loot tables, and that really sucks when you're running around and you kill something and it just doesn't have a drop. And the other thing uh, was the item inflation was pretty extreme over the the first game we could have done a little bit better job about scaling that, but it was fun to get OP items. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, it, it, when we've talked to people in the past, one of the things that's come up, um, in that regard too, was just that, that, um, that sense of, okay, well, we'll, you know, this thing will be out for a year. This thing will be out for two years and then there'll be a new game or, right. and so, um, so, because we had that that item inflation happen with kunark and then with velius uh for sure (laughs) and then um i you know basically i was coming onto the team in a more official uh capacity around luckland um and and that's when i became sort of full-time apprentice and then was actually just doing it you know that was my day job um and so then we you know i had a uh, similar challenge there with regards to like the, the continued inflation. And then by the time we are working on planes of power, I know our systems designers and our uh, design director, rich and others, it was just like, okay, we've already capped out like all over the place. We've got to basically rewrite so many systems and yeah, right. start to address it. So, um, but yeah. All right. So- so,
0: so, so much of that engine and, and things around it have been, reauthored over the years so I went yeah. back to work on EQ1 I think in 2013, 2014, somewhere in there for, uh, for an expansion or two um, some of the code's still the same, but a bunch of stuff has just been reauthored.
1: Speaking of which, we have a question in chat uh, from Nick that said, what went behind the decision to use the Tanneris engine for EverQuest looking back, was it a good choice? What challenges were there?
0: But look, looking back, it was a great choice because we wouldn't be here talking about it today if it wasn't <laughs> 20, years, 20 years later. So it was a fantastic choice. So the Tanneris engine really was uh, called the True 3D engine back in the day, and it was from a third party, and it was uh, a, a, a polygonal 3D rendering engine that we used for Tanneris and that uh, one of the programmers I worked with, Sean Baird heavily modified and added a really nice sky to. And uh, it just seemed like if you had an operational 3D rendering uh, game, it 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 would be your basis for trying to make the next 3D rendering game. Nobody really had a 3 There was no Unreal back then, and there was no... Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, almost there was Unreal, but not quite. And there was no Unity or anything like that, so um we started from there and it turned out to to be a great choice they spent the first uh maybe nine months to a year in r&d um i remember white blocked like a temple slash dungeon and you'd go down a stair real basic ui and there was like a troll that you would fight and uh that all worked and you could see other players fighting the troll in 3d so the big agonizing decision for us that we had uh meetings about was, would we require 3D hardware for this game? Because that's a huge risk. Like, the market right. didn't – nobody had it. But we said, you know, the the game's going to run faster and look prettier if we do it. So we're just going to bite the bullet. And so that's – we're glad we made that decision. It turned out to be good because the fans purchased 3D hardware and played the game.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I For some reason – like, I, I just remember not being very experienced with PC hardware, but doing everything I could to learn exactly what I need to do to ensure that the game looked as good as possible and I had connection stability. Like, the moment I started playing, I was like, I, I've got to be able to stay logged in and have this thing running. Yeah, that's that's right.
0: <clears throat> and so, st- stability, stability was job one for us. So I don't know if, if you guys played at launch, but we essentially, our, our launch protocols were very primitive, and the way that we updated was just immediately. So we would we would literally yell at each other across offices, hey, server's coming down, you know, and then we'd, we'd post up a fix and then spool them back up again. So it was a very, at first it was a very manual process, and then over time we got much better about that, that we would you know, promote things to a quality assurance uh, branch, have it fully tested and vetted before it went up. Because sometimes we put some lemons, you know, you throw grenades over the wall without testing and sometimes <laughs> they blow up.
1: Yeah. So I, I will say in my experience, when I was just coming in as an apprentice during Luckland, there was, there was still some of that grenade throwing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it made for good fun.
0: Yeah. We had, uh, at one point we had, um, we had a, uh, a version go up where there was test code in there that caused all, uh, like, low-level creatures. I think it was in, uh, in the game. Uh, but it certainly was in the dwarf starting area where skunks were charming players, and the charm players would then go PvP flag on. They'd become NPCs, and they would kill other real players. So that was, that was pretty funny. We had all these reports coming in. They're like, "Why my friend's killing me? He can't stop." <laughs> what? That doesn't make sense. Why? But yeah, we had we had uh, put a. We we're testing charm, and we put it on like a skunk spray or something. So skunks were charming players
1: to kill other players. I can picture. I can picture how that went. Yeah, let's just toss it on here. It's not. It's not going to make it off task. So we can do this real quick. We already have the this, this spell ready to go.
0: We had uh, one. Uh, issue where we had no frame rate and we couldn't no one could figure out why it was and it was in the um, it was in that dungeon uh in kinos hills the knoll dungeon
1: uh, uh, black, black Rock, yeah.
0: and for some reason no matter what we did it was no frame rate and then we figured out somebody zoomed way out and it turns out there was a fish that was misscaled that was larger than the than the than the zone map so everything was inside the fish so no matter where you were you were rendering this giant fish and that was killing the visibility checks and the frame and the frame rate so funny That's things happen in game to the element that you can't <laughs> you can't really predict
1: yeah ran into that again years later and what it was was uh we found two different things because every time you came into the zone and just the frame rate died one was a doorknob and the other one was the underside of a, a couch cushion Why? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That was the conversation that went on for a while. Uh, I think the producer had that that question um, for a bit. I think that was Jeff at the time.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it's a concave, convex problem with that back then, right? So if you had shapes that weren't correct, then the rendering engine would take a dive. Or if you decided to assign some insane uh, texture to it, could be yeah. crumb for text data who knows
1: so i'm gonna this is like i was saying when we were first starting this is my first one where i don't really have like the game in the background i've just got this gray desktop and i don't think it, it it's it's doing you justice i will i'll just take this old browser window up um you probably see it or we'll see it in a right second um, yeah, then we have the opportunity to to throw some stuff up in the background as we do this but yeah, I do I like mean,
0: those old school like, cloth maps that we used to yeah. pick out. I thought that was pretty pretty dope.
1: Even today, I, I think it's one of those things, because it comes up a lot when we're talking about it in the stream. And right. it's like, it's totally worth it. Even if it's all digital download at this point, I still want, you know, if I love a game, I want to be able to buy this stuff.
0: So when you were there, Sean, did you see some of those original uh, paintings by Keith? Mm-hmm yeah in the office those i mean when you see pictures of these people doesn't do them justice when you see these oils like up close it's nuts how detailed they are there it is there's the map
1: yeah let me see if i can we can make this a little bit bigger um
0: so this is cole my son found this at book off in san diego this is um it was in the package but it was one of the it's one of the little uh, EverQuest. I don't know what you call oh, them. Nice figurines, and this is like the venerable Southier shaman. So he's he's always on my desk uh, when I code, even today. Nice.
1: Yeah, I was, I was telling everybody I was like, I, I sort of minimized before I moved to Germany, and but the, I've got the storage unit in Texas still that I've been paying for for five years. And it's full Yikes. of my girlfriend laughs in the background. Um, and it's like it's full of all this old EQ stuff. And yeah, the figurines and the books and the maps and all that. And I was like, I wonder if I'm ever going to make any use of this. Maybe I, I need to find a nice home for it. And since I've started streaming, people are like, I'll take it off your hands, right? So oh yeah,
0: I'll take it off your hands, or you can you can you can find a home for it on eBay.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm I'm thinking we'll do some giveaways or something level up larry what's going on dude um do either of you have a surplus of cross maps and other unique EQR? well a little bit as a just mentioned there um so we'll we'll follow up on that topic about getting some giveaways going um i've got to get back to texas first inkley thank you for the sub welcome um cool so sort of hovering around we're going to probably talk about Kunark for a while especially as people are filtering in because I know know there are a lot of questions Um, I mean like when I look at the map I look at the continent you mentioned before that um, a lot of what happened with Kunark um, you know first of all I love how intentional like when you're describing basically what you were shooting for and what you thought the game needed in terms of feel and like you know the setup there like that's it, it's wonderful to hear that there is like that intent going into it but you said um yeah but you i said ripped that it was that. pulled from your dnd what was that
0: i totally ripped off the intent because uh, i was a huge and still am a huge robert e howard fan so i'm much more my my fantasy taste is more sword and sorcery than it is uh high fantasy if that makes sense so yeah it
1: makes perfect sense
0: So Kanark's more sword and sorcery because it's this dark fallen empire and it has snake people, right? And the Shishar, it has, uh, these, uh, lizard men who are evil and enslave everybody. So I was going for that Robert E. Howard sword and sorcery sort of feel to it. I wanted it to be a little darker, a little grittier, a little bit more, uh, foreboding, um, and maybe less high fantasy. So that's, right. that's, it wasn't all me. I was drawing from, uh, author influences, uh, but it did all come from my campaigns, uh, that I had put together. It's an amalgam of probably two or three campaigns. And Veneral Satther was like one of the characters in my campaign. So.
1: And you'd used them before.
0: Yeah. And in, in tabletop campaigns, um, Veneral was one of the, uh, Uh, antagonists.
1: Right on. Zaid, um, welcome, dude. Uh, I know you're going to have some questions. So, Zaid got asked, Kevin, do you recall anything about the zone-wide storm effects, which were envisioned for Kunark, but never made it into game? I read some old design docs that talked about storms that could roll through a zone and cause spells to temporarily do uh, bonus damage, uh, but cost more mana, etc.,
0: Yeah, I think we had plans for a full weather system that would float around and that was actually carried forward those plans to, to do that on Vanguard when I worked on Vanguard. So Brad had wanted to get some weather systems to come through and we had the idea of magical storms that would really mess people up. They would have to seek shelter and so forth. We had actually, I'd actually coded, uh, werewolfism in a request, so that didn't really ever go live. And I think vampirism as well. So we had played with different things, different concepts, but they just they just didn't get in because it was higher priorities. And then we didn't feel it was the best bang for our technological and content buck.
1: I swear I remember seeing documentation to that effect in like references. And I, I thought it was internal references, not just stuff that was out in the community. And I could have sworn that we had conversations about the feasibility of it and there are still concerns about the application of certain like effects given our spell system to that many potentially that many player characters and not being able to control that variable and then what happens if you've got 300 people rolling through that kind of thing um, and so yeah. then it never materialized but it, it's interesting to hear that th- that then carried over into Vanguard like that concept
0: mm-hmm. I think where you see that concept manifested by Sony would be Planet Side 1 where some of the content uh, or continents rather had dust storms and and other things pop up that would basically blind you or kill visibility. Now, unfortunately, the players could just turn it off, right? So it, it would become a non-issue. So then you're really only immersing yourself because some guy still sees you to shoot you,
1: right? <laughs>
0: but but that was that was one place where weather. One product where weather was 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 tried for 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 being instrumental in gameplay, and that was fun. Yeah.
1: There's a question in chat that's uh, from Zemus um, asking: Did veneral's family storyline, amulet, body of etc., come from previous campaigns, or was that added by the design team?
0: No, that's that's I wrote all that. That that's from previous campaigns. Uh, I had the concept that though veneral would be uh temporarily destroyed that he would he would come back he would find a way back through through uh uh, an ancestor's body
1: right on bobby you're not late we just started a little bit early sorry about that um we were doing a sound we so we, we started by just sort of doing my usual check to make sure i can actually make video work um oddly it's hard sometimes and it just started rolling so once it started rolling it was there's no stopping. There, there's too much good info coming out. Um, yeah, so let's see. Um, were Drolvargs, uh, the dogmen who served Veneral Sathir, a form of uh, lycanthrope? Um, or if so, was there a race in mind for who they came from? Like was... Veneral Sathir transforming the old um, pre-FV High Elf settlers into Drolvargs, Zaid asked?
0: That I don't know, because that was purely designed, coming up with with that. I had no concept of those in my original lore. Hmm. I did have a concept of a powerful werewolf that was contesting uh, the Ixar and pretty much uh, everyone else, but working at times with them to achieve its own ends.
1: The, let's see the, when I look at the map, I mean, was, so was that something that you'd provided was basically, it sounds like you gave a decent amount of framework was, was the continent itself something that you already had in mind um, did you kind of hand it over like that?
0: So the continent was already pre-drawn as far as the shape and some of the, uh, some of the areas, they're already named. So uh, the over there, I believe, was already there and named. And what I did is wrote that history and that lore for all of these areas and then began to put down sort of where I thought these ancient cities, runes, and dungeons would end up being. And trying to, trying to uh, spread them out in a way and organize them in a way where there was going to be a decent amount of content um, all over the continent. Hmm. So it wouldn't all be basically stuck on one side. Right. Um, but I don't remember how much of the how much of the areas of the continent did I have to name or sort of draw on the map? Uh, I remember drawing a map more than one. So I, I drew several maps in my notes. So I was drawing uh, Canark maps from thousands of years ago. And then I would draw them during each age, major age, how things had changed up into the present time. Right, And that was to, not that the players were going to get to experience that, but it was to give the design team context on what had happened and where things are at today so they could link things together meaningfully in their lore.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's gotta help the art team as well, right? That's one of the other things that, um, you know, uh, I think Zayd does an incredible job. Like when you watch his stream and he's going through Kunark, um, especially recently, he's been playing some new, uh, some new tunes there. And when you, when you look and sort of point out, like the fact that, hey, you can tell that there, there is a lot going on here, even if it's just a ruin now that you're passing by on the way to something bigger the the it feels like that history is baked in in a way that is hard to do um you know having tried to 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 do it in past expansions as well if you if you did provide that sort of timeline i can see how that really really helps like all right the the artist piece in all the the imaginary details
0: i think also something that the art team did that was stellar uh was the the making of some of these runes and pillars and ancient things large and imposing. Mm-hmm. So you really felt like you, when you were running through the swamp or or whatnot, and you see this like Kerns Tower or something like that. You're struck by sort of the, the size and grandeur of it, but it's in ruins. So you get that sense of there was stuff here before. It's ancient. There's probably fat loot in there. I want to go in and beat things up.
1: Yeah, I'm <laughs> perfect. Um, as it was coming together, uh, I, so I'm sure you're pretty busy, you know, working both on the code side. But then were you like pretty hands on with the artists and like looking at what they're doing and guiding that process or?
0: No, I didn't have to work much with art. I was mostly doing uh, user interface and gameplay code. Uh, as my day job um, yeah. they would show me uh, concept sketches of the Ixar for example or uh, other creatures and they were always amazing so I was like yep there you go that's it <laughs> good <laughs> I mean we had great artists so and great animators uh, and great environment people so it was it was I don't think I ever looked at a piece of art and said, no, that's not it. Let's go a different direction. It just didn't happen. It Um, happened on other projects where I look at stuff and I'm like, no, that's (laughs) not right. But
1: What do you think the difference uh, was?
0: I I mean, there was only like 20 of us or something. You have a small team and uh, it's pretty intimate and you're with everybody all the time. And so there's, there's a shared, I think there's a shared consciousness or a shared set of creative principles that are guiding what you're doing when it's that small. Right. So, and we had, we had a pretty strong visionary, right? So Brad, Brad had a pretty solid vision of what he was excited to present. And then so did the design team, like Bill Trost, uh was able to articulate to the artists very easily sort of what what he wanted to see or what he was hoping to see. And they were excellent at turning that around and making it happen. So yeah. it's just a good confluence of good people and uh, and a good project.
1: Yeah, it's always been hard for me to, like, look back and kind of uh, separate the the sort of stars in my eyes from being a fanboy when I got there from just, like, the objective, like, analysis for what was going on. But I just... It, it felt like those those early years, people were just on fire. Like, they were really just making great shit. It was... Um
0: we were on fire. Uh, so we are all... We're young, so that helps. When you're drinking like 6 to 12 Mountain Dews a day, that certainly helps. Um, We were really passionate about this project because we were all role-playing like tabletop nerds. So the the chance to manifest this uh, online for other people to play 24-7 was really exciting. And I think from that standpoint, everybody just, just... poured their heart and souls into it, right? It was a passion project. And that's where you get the best results in the game industry is when you have devs that are really passionate about the, the project they're trying to manifest.
1: Absolutely. Um, and it's shocking and, and sometimes it's it's just sad. It's not really shocking. It's sad when that opportunity doesn't exist for a team, and you can tell they're just not that into it because um, I've seen both. And, yeah, during that period when, like, we were all just blown away and passionate, it's completely different atmosphere. It kind of segues to a question Nick had, which was, what were you most proud of or geeked out to see come to life in-game from your original campaigns?
0: I think it was uh, seeing – General Saffir there as a real entity that, that was a raid, right? Uh, I, I think for me that was really interesting because I, you know, I had this this villain in my campaigns that I was excited about and but never thought that it would ever go anywhere after that. And then here in this Karnak expansion, people can go uh, kick his ass and get, get his loot. So for me, I think that was probably the coolest thing, but just the whole thing, to see Canard come together was pretty amazing. Um, and then personally, to play it, for me to actually get in there uh, with my brother. My brother was like you, Sean. He dropped everything and came out to San Diego to, to work on EQ and get in the game industry. So we just got in, and we just played the, the hell out of that expansion and loved it. Um, and i've I've gone back years later, I think the last time I did was maybe 2014 or twenty fifteen and then uh rolled up uh, an XR character and died immediately to some newbie skeletons it was great
1: yeah that had to have been crazy though right like to actually go into your your world sort of your campaign actualized just yeah whoa. it
0: was really it was great <laughs> because. I had set up a framework or a history that was the high level stuff, but all the mid to low level implementation, that was all designed and I, I didn't have any time to play test any of that shit. So for me, when I go in to play this, it's brand spanking new and I don't really know anything. It's not like I walk into Kearns Tower and I know what's going on. Right. That's that stuff is all much more granular. Oh, and so for me, yeah. right. So I I know the high level things, and I know there's a Sebelis out there, and I can't wait to go to it. But I I know Trakanon's out there, right? But I but I don't know how I'm going to get there or what's going to be involved and what I have to contest in order to make it happen. And for me, that was the coolest thing because, like you, I was able to experience the greatness of the the design content and all the art. Um, but at the same time, knowing that the the history and the lore from campaigns past that I had made was there as well, so yeah. I got the best of both worlds. If I had play tested the hell out of it, it's 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 maybe a little less exciting when you play it at launch. So yeah. uh, it's kind of a strategy for me is to not play the game's content uh, if if I can avoid it. I only play content to the extent that I have to uh, as a programmer fix bugs and defects and work with art and design yeah.
1: and then the rest is a nice surprise now that's exactly great. right. that's gotta be nice
0: that doesn't uh, That doesn't apply to like Planetside and Planetside 2 because you know that that's player driven content so it's just PvP but for something yeah. like PvE definitely I like to keep that hidden for myself
1: now that's gotta be nice um,
0: okay, here we go. I need tips on how to start game dev. I'm I'm a I'm an Unreal person. I love Unreal. I'm just gonna say, go get Unreal Engine, and there's a billion videos on YouTube, and you can make a game in Unreal in a week.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just get started, <laughs> and and then all the how do I get into a company and how do I get into the industry and all that. That's uh, first, get started. Yeah.
0: So for me, the path to getting in the industry is, I would learn one of the one of the big engines like Unity or Unreal. And for me, I'm going to tell you Unreal because I love working with Epic Games and that's what I've used for many years, so I'm most comfortable with it. And then uh, once you've learned that, and you can develop your own game, and you can do it completely in Blueprints if you can't program and there's art assets up the yin yang for both engines on their stores and some and every month there's free content at least on the unreal store so you can you you can get so much free stuff mega scans uh textures are free now on unreal so you can have a professional blown out looking terrain with trees and grass and everything and you could get that up in a couple days so uh all you got to do really is just put in the work. Now, once you have a game and it's functional and uh, you think it's good, then you can start uh, applying to game companies and using that as your resume. People ask me, do I have to get a degree, go to a university and get something in game design or anything? You, It's preferable. It'd be nice to have that, but um, people have been hired just because they produce something really amazing and they're really passionate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially now that it exists. Um, I think when I was first getting started, uh, I don't know that you. it existed. Yeah. Um, the, the bit of advice I give people though, with like getting started that worked for me and, and I know it's a different era as things moved on, but I've actually, I mean, I've been a hiring manager now for almost 20 years as well. And I think it still holds true. If people are really passionate about getting into the industry, but they don't know where to start, but they know they want to get in, I'm just like, there, there are so many different opportunities. I, I know a guy that's a, a professor of art now that when his dad asked me, because he was installing my hardwood floors, he's like, um, you know, my son thinks he needs to do X, Y, and Z. I was like, first of all, here's the email address to a couple artists I can help him with his portfolio, but right. like get in the QA. Get in a CS, right. like get in, get your foot in the door. And if you're really that no bullshit and you're really that passionate, people will see it. And, um, he did. And it's funny. He went in through QA and then within like a couple month period, they started crunching on the art side needed some more artists and just happened to know he was an artist and that's it. Right. So,
0: it's a, I mean, it's happened to so many people in the industry, myself included. I started in QA at a company called mindscape in 1989. And one of my coworkers, one of my friends, um, had continued with them out to Cali. And then he went on the producer track from QA, right? As as QA can go on different tracks, you can go into mm-hmm. production, you can go into art, you can go into design, sometimes coding. And then, uh, you know, eight. Eight years later or whatever, or six years later or whatever, he, he calls him up and says, hey, I need a coder for this Rallycross game. Do you want to come out and do it? So QA is, QA is a winning strategy uh, for getting your foot in the door. The main thing with working at any uh, video game company is get your foot in the damn door. Yeah. And then be... work hard. Bust your ass.
1: Yeah. I, honestly, I would take a janitorial job. I've been a janitor before right. at, in a le- less cool environment, right? But like, I've just always found that if you're, I think a lot of people, uh, they they think they want to do a thing, uh, and I'm like, if you really wanted to do it, you'd be doing it. Like, do it. Like, you know, you've been giving your little bit of advice, but like, get your foot in the door. Be a janitor. Fucking deliver pizzas to the place until you get to know everybody's name, and then tell them your hopes and dreams and see what happens. So, trying it. Uh, um, a bit off topic, Nick said, uh, from the EQ stuff, but can you talk a little bit more about your work on Planet Side Next? What was that ab- all about? Uh, was it an upgrade for the original Planet Side? What kind of cool changes were made to it, and why it was. was it ultimately scrapped?
0: Yeah, Planet Side Next was, uh, we're going to take the Planet Side One engine and, uh, try and make it better, upgrade it, um, and we, we tinkered with it for probably eight to nine months, um, and different design concepts. Uh, and as part of that, I was actually working on putting in, uh, you know, like, uh, more modern shading techniques. So I was writing like HLS, uh, uh HLSL shaders and doing some, uh, bump mapping uh, and it became apparent that the planet side one engine was pretty pretty dated and it wasn't necessarily going to be able to do all the things that we really wanted to do graphically and uh, from a networking and infrastructure standpoint so looking at uh, the free realms uh, engine which was very robust um, and much more modern, we we said we did an analysis and said it would be faster if we did a Planet Side Two uh than if we did a Planet Side Next and had to re-author everything. So that was that was sort of why Planet Side Next became Planet Side Two. The team that was on Planet Side Next uh became the Planet Side uh, two team.
1: Yeah, I, it, it's interesting. Um I, I spent a little bit of time with the Planetside team. We we tried to do a like a modern mercenary shooter. It um, was yeah. sort of an iteration. I think we ran into similar conclusions. It was like, especially with the UI and some other elements, uh, we were going to be starting from scratch. And that exceeded the whole just reskin it and get it out the door uh, sort of timeline that right. we were offered.
0: Yeah, Planetside Next was, was a, an attempt or a look at it, if we went we reskin this and we, we updated some of the, the combat mechanics to be more modern shooter mechanics. what would that take? What would that look like? And, and then what how successful do we think it would be at appealing to the, the fans? Mm-hmm. And in the end we, we just made the determination that uh, planetside 2 is a better way to go use our most modern technology and make it as pretty as possible. Mm-hmm. And I still play Planetside 2 today. I played it last night. So it's uh, it's it's a great game that I still enjoy. It, it's not a perfect game, but I, I enjoy it.
1: Yeah, Nick is extremely passionate about all things Planetside um, here in chat. And so he has got me he, – he is – Basically convinced me that I've got to get a uh, plant side 2 installed. Matter of fact, I think it wasn't for the fact that I took a couple days off of streaming to actually barbecue and drink some beer this weekend. I probably would have already installed it, uh, but I'll definitely want to check in um, starting this week. So look forward to it. Um, yeah, it's,
0: it's mind blowing. You're going to be, you're going to be, it's, it's rough though. Get in with people that you can group up with because if you're alone, you're going to get annihilated. Yeah, just gonna get annihilated. There's just these fights are like hundreds of people in some cases, and you, you without experience and with with without all the perks of leveling up, it's hard to know where you are and who's killing you.
1: Uh, I'll see if Nick can be my battle buddy and give me that's in what there. you want. Yeah, yeah. so but I outfit. Oh, okay, nice. So because i was blown away by ps1 like planetside was just the craziest thing i'd ever played um you know it it, uh it felt like you know it's a bit floaty it wasn't super precise or whatever but i didn't care it was just so much fun seeing you know like uh those bridge battles and other big battles so combined arms super cool yeah so much fun uh bobby asked what's the coolest eq merch you snagged on the way out
0: Gosh, I got, so my wife's the packer out. So I would get, I would get, we, they got us crazy stuff back in the day. So I would get lunch pails that were EverQuest lunch pails. I would get jackets, Sony jackets, Crash Bandicoot, like denim coats. That's a crazy one. I still have all kinds of PlayStation bags. And gosh, I got, I got original copies of the, ex, of the game and the expansion still boxed and sealed. Uh, but my wife has them all in a in a in a merch box, right? And if I want to go touch it, she's like, "Get away from there!" So she won't let me really uh, poke around. Uh, but I got a lot of stuff. I have prints signed by Keith Parkinson. I don't even know. Just gobs of stuff. I'll I'll never sell it though. I'll just give it to my kid
1: right on no that's amazing I will I will have to well, adopt somebody out of chat
0: they I were always good at merch you know they were always good about showering us with stuff
1: yeah it always seemed like there's a ton of cool shit um, let's see Vanifax asked what is your favorite dungeon in Kunark and why is it crypto um, do you know what the thought process behind the zone was and why it's so hidden
0: uh, I, I, they wanted to make that, uh, they wanted to make the crypt something that was hard to access, hard to find and special. And that's really the only reason is to just give it that extra special wild wow factor. Uh, for me, probably my favorite dungeon is Sebalus. That's, that's my own per- personal preference. So I did the most PVPing, um, in Kern's Tower and around that area. So I did play a lot on the uh, Talon Zek server and played on the not Kunark side, so I was playing on the um, the goodly racist side.
1: Can't remember the guild names there, but I was a I was a GM there briefly and had to deal with all of the uh, the complaints and crying and nonsense uh, nonsense on Talon. It was a lot of fun though.
0: Yeah, the strategy on Talon for us is we made characters, I think, that were level 25, and they never leveled beyond that. And we did that because there was an 8-level range, so we wanted to be able to destroy everyone between, like, 17 and 33 or something. And it was the perfect range, game mechanic-wise, to sort of do that. So we, we were extremely geared... And we would roll around in a band of eight very well balanced PVPers and we would just wipe out things. I, I I just remember taking out so many people around Kernstower. And and the beach, of course, the Oasis. That was always a great so we actually would lap it. We kill everyone in the Oasis Beach trying to level up and then we go to Kern's and kill everyone there.
1: Did you D level wacky Marv asked if you D leveled to get to that point, or if you just stopped there,
0: we just stopped there. And then we made sure that we, we weren't killing any more mobs. So we wouldn't level up. And we had a, we had a really high level alt character that was like 50 something. The Druid that would teleport us around. So we just run laps and eventually you get a posse of people after you and they eventually do run you down and kill you. But then we would just rinse, repeat, start again. Right on. Uh, uh, getting hit with the blind spell in in PvP and EQ sucks because it yes. turns your whole screen, like, off. So you're like, hey, my monitor broke. <laughs> like, there's no indication you're still on a game. It's really bad. So we people were, just
1: stand there. We were just watching a streamer playing. Uh, it may have been on P99, though, but watching someone play, and they, they were... Uh, yeah, they, was it the the mudites um, got hit with a blind spell and the screen went black? And I'm so I'm showing my girlfriend and she's just like, "What happened?" I'm like, "Right, it's a spell." Like it's a spell. when it first hit you, though, you thought your computer broke. Yeah, the
0: the shit I used to do, I would I would I would go to one of the parties in Oasis that was an enemy, the enemy's faction. I would be disguised as a dark elf. I would ask to join their party. They would invite me. I would join it and then when i was casting spells i'd be behind the party so i would buff them with breeze or whatever i was an enchanter and and then reillusion myself to be a dark elf and they weren't paying attention they're just pulling mobs and i'd wait and then when they overpull a little bit i'd charm an extra crocodile and send it in on the cleric and then so the healer would die the tank would die and then i'd finish off the rest of them but we we did some nasty nasty stuff back
1: then Chat approves. The chat does approve.
0: Yeah, another thing I would do is be the uh, illusion palm tree and just hang out on the beach waiting for somebody to run by and then kill them that way. Palm tree starts casting on them. Beautiful. I remember getting chased by 20 people, I think, into Kern's Tower, and the enchanter is a minor illusion spell. I turned into a torch sconce and positioned myself against the wall and they ran around for probably 30 minutes never found me
1: beautiful Ayo. i i uh, yeah i am just waiting for chat's response on some of these just because i think there, there's definitely got to be some appreciation there so was your was your chantier remain chat is asking
0: uh, so, on the PvP server, the the twenty fifth Enchanter was was my main for that that PvP group. Um, the other character I had was a Necro, Paradite Necro. Uh, but an EQ proper in the on the Bluebe servers, um, I had uh, uh, just a regular tank. And it, it sucked so bad because, as you know, back in the day, tanks can't solo anything. So yeah. I, I was, if there was no group, I wasn't playing that tune. So I was playing, uh, uh, my main solo character, duo character was a necromancer because I could, of course, an XR necromancer. So I could, uh, kite shit. When I Another... say blue Bee server, I mean like, uh, you know, player, player, not not player versus player. Yeah, you know, not the PvP servers, the co-op servers where we all hang out and sing Kumbaya together.
1: So, another question yeah, regarding Kunark: Was there anything big that was cut that you wish had made it in from the stuff that you threw out there?
0: Honestly, not. Um, I I feel like team pretty much tackled everything that that they wanted to do. I don't recall... Uh, there's certainly little coding features or something that had to wait hmm. to uh, Velius, right? But as far as the content and stuff goes, I think, like I, I mentioned, some of the mobs were short on loot tables. So hmm. you would have some red name mobs and their rares... And they're obviously not placeholders, and they should have dropped something because <laughs> they're hard, hard as hell to kill. But there's nothing, so I would say that's that's there was just some some NPCs left on the cutting room floor that for whatever reason didn't get assigned to loot table. But other than that, I thought everything was that's there.
1: Cool, and um, yeah, I mean from your description, it almost it almost seems like it might have even exceeded your original like expectations for how it was going to materialize. Absolutely um, did.
0: Oh, any other classes planned for the XR that got cut? Uh, yeah. I remember we talked about having them be more classes than we ended up allowing them to be. Um. Uh. But I, I don't recall the exact ones that didn't make the cut. We felt we yeah XR Rogue of course, but we felt like. Uh, <laughs> They have pretty good racial abilities, and um, they're already they're already kind of cool. So we didn't want to give them the you know you can be every class uh, race, kind of like uh, humans. Humans get to be all the things. We thought it would be nice if we limited it and and bent it more toward the evilish classes, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, or at least just... the non goodly classes, because their empire was an evil empire. Oh, the itemization built around the 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 glasses. The classes.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why was the itemization
0: yeah. sparse? Oh, well, I don't know. Working a lot of hours and you're you're putting in content for the dungeons and sometimes you forget about rogues. well need love too they need daggers
1: so i wanted to pull a couple more questions from chat but i also have my own question of just like um about the because you mentioned team size and pretty small i'm curious about the process and just if you could go through team size again and just what your what that looked like behind the scenes because again i've I've seen i saw luckland luckland was when i got there and it was pretty chaotic (laughs) um I'm right. curious what you saw, and then I'll grab these other questions from chat. Sorry, chat.
0: So I think uh, team size originally somewhere around 20 full time, and then there was supporting people that were writing things like, you know, like our socket layer for for network communication. Um. So it w- the dev process was we would have meetings and basically decide what what we wanted to do content-wise and then uh, get buy-in from everybody and, and then from that, develop uh, a list of features the code would have to implement to support that and then just go off to the races and then reconvene and, and test it. The one thing I can say about the EverQuest to Canark Days is there was a lot of internal playtesting going on. We played the game vociferously and we uh, were doing that even when we weren't working. So that's, I think, a big uh, part of why a small team was able to, to make a game that was fun is because we were all playing it all the time. So if it wasn't fun, that would be torturous. Right. So I've always carried that philosophy forward in all the games that I've worked on where if i'm not playing the game i'm working on then uh it's it's not fun so it needs to change it needs to get fun
1: yeah absolutely and um so i know we'll we'll hop to in a little bit but you know your your current company I, was, I guess I was going to ask the the question: Do you think it's feasible to build the kind of game that was built in those early EQ days um, with a s- similar size team? And you know, um,
0: it absolutely is.
1: Yeah, um,
0: I think if you have the right passionate people with modern tools, think about like modern tools like Unreal Engine. Absolutely, you could you could build something. That 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 was great. Now, could you build a seamless modern MMO where you walk seamlessly across a vast uh, landscape? No, it would have to be zone based because you wouldn't have the tech for that. Um, you would you would you would need also to find a way for your uh, map servers to communicate with some sort of backplane persistence layer so that you could. Send chat messages across these maps, or mm-hmm. uh, have players persist their data, um, and so forth. So, while there are some technical hurdles, it's absolutely possible for a small team of passionate people to develop something like uh, EQ. Yeah. I think the I think that content is king. So you have to. The game design is the most important part. If you don't have – if you have game design but you don't really have art and code, you can still have a fun, engaging game like Minesweeper. But okay. if you don't have good design and you just have great art and code, you just have a tech demo. and Nobody wants to play a tech demo.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, uh, no. I'm glad to. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I. That's a common theme on this stream. Um, when we don't have guests on, then uh, the folks that are here have to hear me babble about stuff like that. And and so I've, my last two companies have been very small niche MMO companies. And I'm like, guys, I've seen. I've seen behind the scenes. I've seen the KPIs. Like it is it is feasible in my mind you know if you especially if you come in it with like go zone based you know like That's make right. certain compromises that existed back then we can still make a badass game i think it's doable at a much smaller scale than, than people realize there are those games that are basically shooting to you know put a dent in the universe or whatever and we'll probably be talking about aoc a little bit later but like i i i for me my ambitions you know when i look at like if i were if i were able to just start a new game it'd be pretty humble man like i i have no problems working on a nice humble iteration of something like an eq1 yeah
0: you can you can make a fantastic compelling experience with a modern engine like unreal or unity and make it zone based and it's going to be very compelling so if you, if you think about your terrain size, it's going to be somewhere between 1K square and maybe 4K or something. And it's a very large chunk of real estate to run around in. Yeah. And if you're putting some dungeons in there, uh, that you're zoning to, I mean, you can have a lot of content. So if your, if your game is a PVE based game and it's not player versus player and you don't need that seamless interaction, then by all means make it zone based
1: cool um i just i I think i've always just loved it for for whatever reason over the years i've I've played the seamless ones and i appreciate them um both technically artistically or whatever but there's just something about that experience of zoning into a new place and and that little bit of a disconnect um uh I don't mind zoning from one zone into like a completely different type of zone. It's never been a problem. Um, let's see. A couple of questions. I've never, from
0: Ch- I've never dual box or multi box to that last one.
1: All right. And then how did the conversation leading up to XR Monk go? Were there any people on the inside that were opposed to it wanting to keep it in human only? Do you remember?
0: Uh, no, we were pretty adamant about everyone was kind of, as far as I recall, was pretty adamant about Ixar Monk because we felt like this ancient empire would have some pretty dope martial training, right? And over its history would develop its own fighting techniques. And because of that, and also we had the opportunity to do an XR tail swipe as an animation. I mean, come on, you can't yeah. pass that up, so... Ixar Monk uh, turned out to be, I think, my brother's favorite character. So I'm glad we put it. And he played the shit out of that. That and the uh, Shadow Knight.
1: And so the Green Mist storyline. Awesome. So was that part of, did you hand that over? Or was that something that evolved? Uh, in, in I had
0: of- nothing to do with that as far as like that, 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 entire thing was all the design team. And I thought it was so cool. I just like it was great. Badass. Yeah, my my brother um loved that. So he he actually got green mist and I remember him he would call me up on 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 the phone and just bitch up a storm. Like this is just insane. You know the shit I gotta go through to get this thing? I'm like, not really. Not play, I'm, I'm playing a acro, man. I just kite shit. Have fun.
1: Right on. Yeah. I, I'm hoping he's uh, talking about the earlier steps in the quest. I can't honestly remember the, the end of it, but uh, according to one of our guests, I, I put it in. So And then when I read the text, that sounded like something I'd write. So uh, awesome. I apologize. apologize to him if it was too shitty of a time. Um, let's see. Uh, Vulark asked, "What was the design philosophy for Xr not being able to wear plate armor?"
0: Um, I don't think any. I think we didn't want them to be like uh, main tanks. We wanted them to be sort of like lighter, faster combatants, and I think that's that's probably it. The I mean, they should be able to wear plate if they're going
1: to tank. It is what it is. Scrolling through more questions. Um, all the XR weapon quests are amazing. Um, stuff.
0: So a- no, nobody, nobody put me in their in their quests. Somebody put me in World of Warcraft, but not 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 in EQ. Then they're going to put me in as a frog lock so they people can kill me at level one just to just to torch me which would be pretty awesome.
1: And then Bobby asked, a uh, former guest spoke about you guys designing Kunark with the idea that it would be the first and only expansion. Is that also how you approached it?
0: Yeah, we didn't know, right? So if, we, if you look at an average video game, it has a shelf life of N years. Particularly, we were coming from Sony, which was more console-based, right? This was not a PC game company. So you think you launch a game, maybe you have a sequel to it or an expansion, and then that IP sort of fizzles for a while, and then you roll onto something else, and then you maybe you spool up Rev two or three down the road. That would be the typical model. So at the time, EQs doing Gangbusters, we figured, yeah, we'll keep it going with Canark and then see what happens. But like if you would have told me, we'd be sitting here twenty years later talking about this game i would not have believed it
1: now i did, maybe maybe about a 10th year then it started as i was at other companies i was like holy shit a couple of these are not going to go away we you know um we should be building games with 20 like a 20 year sort of lifespan in mind and see what happens uh, at least then we'd have more headroom i guess and itemization and other stuff um
0: that's more possible today, too, Sean, because if you're building it in one of these engines like Unity or Unreal, and those engines are constantly updating the fidelity of their graphics and whatnot, yeah. it's possible now to have a game that iteratively develops and improves over a long span of time. Whereas with something like EverQuest, it's, it, was, it was much easier to create EverQuest 2. Right, to start with a new, better code base, uh, fresher concepts and tools, and go forward.
1: Yeah. Or at least that was the belief. That was the belief. Yeah. Um, sorry, guys, I know I'm missing a few of these. We'll definitely we'll scroll up. Um, Nick is on the bottom here, so it's easy for me to spot, but it also takes us into sort of the next step. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your work on Vanguard? I know there's there is uh something between those two um, we were talking a little bit as we were getting warmed up about um the work you did when you uh i think that was when you went to hong kong right so there was everquest and then uh it, it's interesting because it seems like it gets us back into the pvp topic as well which i know a few people are asking about um the two companies that you co-founded
0: yeah so i after after kunark uh Uh, I had co-founded a company to do a um, superhero MMO, and we were partnered with uh, Square Japan, and they were funding it. But then the Spirits Within came out, and they canceled all funding. So Mm -hmm. after that, uh, somebody said, hey, i got a gig in Hong Kong working on Shadowbane Asia, so localizing Shadowbane for seven countries or something in Asia. So my wife's from Philippines, which isn't too far away. I'm like, Hey, you want to do Hong Kong? She's like, yeah, let's go. So we went over there for two and a half years. I worked on that. I worked on an MMO engine, uh, patcher and graphics engine, um, and more PVP, like you said. Um, and then after that, uh, I went to work on Vanguard, which was not a PVP focused game, but like, uh. Like Nick is, is asking, was Unreal Engine 2 a good choice? It was. The uh, tool set on Unreal Engine 2 was pretty pretty good at that point. Our artists could lay down terrain, and, and we were using speech trees so we could populate it with Flora. Um, I would say the, the challenges we had is we wanted it to be seamless, but that technology is very alien to the way that Unreal is architected. So we went for fast zone-based, right? So you get to a zone line and at least it transfers fast. And we had to customize a lot of the network communication. And um, uh, Ryan Elam, who was the lead, did a lot of customization and reworking of the rendering uh, pipeline to make it uh, better. Um, but it was a good choice for us because it got us to the finish line, Um the, the world of Vanguard was extremely huge, and to, yeah. to, to make all that uh, in any other tool set, I think, would have been pretty rough. It just needed a lot of help on the hitching and a- asynchronous loading, so it really didn't get fixed up and polished, I think, for about a year after it launched
1: yeah and a couple people have talked about that period um we've had todd in here and and, you know uh doug was just here and so it's it it feels like had they had more time to basically work through um you know some of that just i don't know if that's tuning polish or what just iteration time um would have been massive for it can you speak to anything about sort of that period and what was going on with regards to time and how that was affecting you
0: yeah i think the mistake that was made on vanguard so it it was opposite day of how eq was developed so eq was developed in a way where we had these different systems whether it was jeff's spell system or our combat system or uh You know the way that the zones were being constructed by art and these these were all put up sort of one zone at a time so I I believe Kinos was the first zone we stood up and we got that working and once that was working we did Kinos Hills and then we did Blackboro so there was a progression right where we're putting everything in the game and having everything connected and playable In one place, in one microcosm. And then we're expanding, rinse, repeat, create the other 50, I don't even know how many zones for the release product. So that was the right way to develop a game. The wrong way was what we did on Vanguard, hindsight being 2020, where we developed a lot of systems sort of independently of each other and then brought them together at a late date and glued them together to make the game and then found yeah. out, oh, shit, this doesn't work. The performance isn't there. We didn't think about X, Y, Z. And uh, I feel like had we developed one playable area first mm-hmm. and expanded out like we did on EQ, it would have been a better result. also would have been a better result for uh, profiling and finding these performance hitches and other issues. And then, uh, as you said, we, we could have used more time to polish for sure. Right? Because gluing all those things together revealed a lot of surprises. Yeah. Uh, Once the game was stable and it was uh, streaming nicely, I absolutely loved it. I played the hell out of that game. So many characters uh, and really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fact that it was harder than most other games in the genre. Mm -hmm. And I would go into some of these dungeons and just get my ass kicked
1: the occurs.
0: i I break shit but i still love it i go back
1: but that's part of the fun i mean that's part of the uh, that that makes me just want to come back in more um but yeah the way you're describing it coming together then with that in mind then the timing really it, it does paint a picture of like if you're pulling that many disparate systems together if you're pulling that that scale of work together then you have to have that extra time to see basically how, how it's gonna to come together and, and what that's gonna reveal. So um, That's right.
0: And in Unreal Two, the the profiling capabilities aren't there to the extent now that Unreal Four has. Unreal four has incredible profiling uh, capabilities and you can you can discover what is slow and what is screwing you. Mm-hmm. It has hitch detection so you know when you're doing hitched loading of, of assets. And because of that, that even makes it easier for uh, somebody to make their own game nowadays because all this stuff's online, and it shows you how to profile your own stuff, and it'll just tell you straight up, this function right here is the problem. Go fix it. Right. So that's, that's something that we didn't necessarily have back in the day. We had to use third-party tools in and, and our brains.
1: Yeah, I I could have sworn on DC Universe we were using, like, 2.5. It was, like, Unreal 2.5, I thought, on the way to 3. But so heavily
0: modded and the server perfectly customized, Yeah
1: yeah and and it felt like a lot of what you're describing being online now just wasn't online yet then either that's right and we were doing the whole streaming zones and yeah it was many many we spent a few years just sitting there um as a designer writing documents uh for like a good year while everything was being gutted and put back together so
0: yeah absolutely
1: um I'm curious, and so with uh, just sort of hitting on Shadowbane um, while you're there, so on the tech side, um, we, we've talked about Shadowbane a little bit as well in here because, again, we talk a lot about MMOs, and then we talk a lot about sort of feasibility and issues we've seen in the past. Shadowbane felt like another one that was, like, really ambitious, some cool concepts in there, and then it, on the technical side, it was still, like, baking when, when I played it, at least, Um, when you were working with them on the localization, at what point was that in the lifespan?
0: So it was, it was like the product wasn't released yet. So I actually would fly out to Austin from Hong Kong and spend some time in the office working with them. And then I would shuttle back to Hong Kong and then work on, uh, the localization there. Um, they, they were, Trying to put their entire world on one Sun Microsystems box. And that box would have the totality of this. uh, It was a seed generated world. So the world didn't change, but it could because it was based on a random seed. But the the seed was always fixed. So um, it would generate this procedural world and run everything on this one system which is much different than EveryQuest, where everything's distributed because you have all these different maps, and each map has its own server, right? Right. This was one giant instance running on a mini-computer. So this thing, I don't even know how much it weighs. It was huge. And I thought, single point of failure, not good. But they had a bunch of Sun Microsystems engineers come in, and they made it work, and so they were able to get it uh, up and be stable enough to to run. I think the the thing that struck me where it would fail is I suspected during development that without capping the number of players in a in a guild and their allies uh, mm-hmm. that could be on one side, you just end up with one one ring to rule them all. One guild would or, or alliance would just become supreme, and then you'd kill the whole server, which ended up happening in different regions. So. That was unfortunate. But playing the game, I loved it. I was playing a uh, dual-wielding dagger warrior, and I just—I was evil. I'd kill people when they would go to bank, and I'd steal all their shit.
1: I'm noticing a theme. I I got the feeling— Right, I hate PvP, you can tell. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Oh, there you go.
0: Programming tools, IDE, and EQ. Yeah, I was about to hit that one. Visual Studio 6. I don't know. It was some super early version of visual studio. And, uh, before then I was using, you know, the text editors that one uses for PlayStation one games. So moving to visual studio was pretty, was pretty fantastic. You had much better, uh, debugging capabilities. You could see the call stack, all kinds of goodies. And it's, I develop in visual studio today i can't imagine not developing in visual studio as a programmer i just can't
1: c89 duct tape and blood
0: yeah pretty much but uh what what was rough about visual studio i guess is as they would come out with new iterations right things would break so we'd have to update it but whatever my favorite non-epic quest in kunark uh, i don't even know it's it's probably going to be the whole green mess saga honestly it's just so amazing but that's sort of epic right
1: and it's yeah in its own right uh, any fun bug hunting stories from kunark
0: uh, I don't think we had any anything that was crazy in Canark that I recall that, that just drove us batty. I, I don't recall any, any crazy bugs. I remember crazy bugs from original EQ, like the fish that was bigger than a zone that killed the frame rate that no one could find because you're inside the fish. Uh, the charming of players to kill other players from the skunk spray, that was a good bug. Uh, but in, in Kunark thing, the game had been up for essentially nine months to a year. I, I don't remember how long. About a year. So the uh, it, it had become fairly stable. So it was harder and harder for us to introduce new and inter- interesting bugs.
1: Now, do you I do mean, remember I'm, players falling through Field of Bone. I remember yes. that from customer service because I was having yeah. to summon players.
0: So we had, if you... Back then, if the, you know, when you make Geo, if you just have a tiny seam and the player runs over it and it doesn't detect collision, adios, you fall through the world. Or if you, if the poly wasn't marked for collision for whatever reason. The other uh, thing that we would have in Canark that I do recall is you have the copy loot table issue where somebody copies the dragon's loot table onto a goblin and then intends to, you know, just have it drop some mundane things but forgets and now some mundane creatures dropping really good really good loot. So I mean that that kind of fat fingered copy paste errors happen yeah.
1: from time to time. Oh yeah, especially in that database. Frank DeBank said Final Green Mess was made by a bad player, in his opinion. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate it. Nice.
0: Well it says was there a plan on the empty crypt in that uh field of bone? No. But I did use that empty crypt uh, all the time in PvP. That's where we would stage and hide, and we would emerge from that crypt and go kill everyone, and then go back there and heal up again. So I got use out of it. But uh, I think the only thing down in there were spiders or something. I think, and, and maybe one, one or two named. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that that populated. It, it could have been cooler. There could have been cool content in there. You're right. Mm -hmm. Painting and mural paintings, I I don't think so. I think that's just art going ham. They're like, yeah, we need some cool stuff. I'm just going to make it. Like back in the day, we didn't have this whole concept of art direction per se. People would get a zone to do, and it was like their baby. So they would Mm -hmm. work with design, and they'd come up together with sort of a concept, and then you could just go ham. Uh, in the modern day, we want to make sure that things are tied together more cohesively so that if I go to Joe's dungeon and I see stuff relating to this history or lore and then I go to Best dungeon, right? There's congruency there that they're not completely different alien cultures.
1: Yeah. There is something about that though that makes it charming, right? When they're, so I, I, I get the need for like a red thread and to sort of make sure that, that they're in the same world. But I, I do, we talk about this a lot. I do think there is something special about the fact that there was a bit of that disconnect between designers and artists and folks back in the day. Um, all right. Seems to add like yep. a layer of mystery.
0: It does. And it also. If you let people just go ham, a lot of times they can do their best work, Yeah. right? As long as there's some like uh, high level oversight, but if they're passionate about something and they, they're creative, then turn turn that dimmer to max. Let them go.
1: Absolutely. Um, so what I'm thinking is, as uh, feel free to continue, just grab questions out of chat. But I was thinking that um, it'd be cool if we just we continue to move through move through basically what you've done over the years and then we'll obviously get to aoc and i've i think then that also opens the opportunity for us to sort of bounce around to any of those that may then trigger new questions um if right. you've got time and so yeah uh so Basically, we just hit on Vanguard, and then uh, I guess when Vanguard came back into Sony, that's that's when you're sort of reintroduced into the environment, because you go to the planet sides after that, right?
0: Yeah, having done sword and board games for, at that point, uh, a long time, um, I I was looking for a change, and... Uh, for me, PlanetSide was near and dear to my heart. I started playing that in Hong Kong in beta back in uh, this would be something like 2002 to 2004, somewhere in there. And I loved the game, and I was super into it. So I said, I've been doing these uh, fantasy games so long, I want to I want to switch it up. I want to do uh, I want to do some shooter games, which mm. I also love as a genre. So planet side was 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 where I flowed into uh, after that and I was on that whole IP and launched planetside 2 and then maybe a year after launch or something uh, went back to EverQuest one to work on uh, expansion content mm-hmm. and that was pretty fantastic to go back to uh, a project that you basically started your uh, MMO career on. Go back to that, and then work in there. That was that was a blast.
1: And then after the the PlanetSide Sides of work at Sony, uh, I saw as I was going through the, the CD, um, saw reference to a Creator Safe, and it was interesting. Until I saw it on there, I, I'd forgotten because. Uh, I remember Matt Broom. Um, right. he was part of that as well, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, he was actually Matt and I were partnered on that. And then we're partnered in, uh, a studio called hero machine where we're working on, a uh, an unreal, uh, cover and shoot, uh, shooter game. Uh, it's, it's basically a loot and scoot RPG. Um, but yeah, I worked with him on that and, we stood up essentially a space where artists could go to the site and then they could collaborate. They could put up their art. They could lock it right behind uh, permissions. Uh, And it was a way for them to share and get feedback. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sort of like a uh, a social media site for artists to share and promote their work. The issue being we couldn't figure out how to monetize it. Right. It's it's hard to charge artists anything. There's a reason why it's called starving artists. So, right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember when the concept first come, uh, came out, I, I thought it was really interesting. And um, I thought that you guys were, were looking at that as a possible platform to then also um, uh, provide visibility, I guess, on artists and different work to people that might want to consume it, whether it be companies or, you know, that's right. Uh, yeah. So. private individuals. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really rad. Um, and but uh, I think I was I was in the middle of a lot of moves there and sort of lost track of Matt uh, during that period. Um, so it's interesting to see that come up again. Um, yeah. And then uh, what Frank asked, and I've got it in my notes, you're going back to EQ. Uh, Frank asked, what uh, expansion did you come back for?
0: Geez, I don't remember. It was it was uh, after the Mercenary expansion. Um, I was I'm trying to remember what I was working on. I remember I had to alter the interface to the store code for something or other. I don't know. I think those brain cells are erased, but let me go look at EQ expansions by date. and I can tell you.
1: All right. Let's see. Scrolling up. i Guys, if I'm missing any specific... There's only like
0: 50 of them.
1: Yeah. Well, there's... I mean, almost not joking. It's what, 28 now? 26. 26? Um, So it's getting there. If I missed any of the questions in chat, definitely keep them in mind. Feel free to shoot them out again as we go. Uh, No harm on that.
0: So this one, this uh, call the Forsaken looks like it might be it because... Uh, mercenary aas and mercenary gear yeah so it was in that slash reign of fear somewhere in that uh, uh, area
1: that that makes sense timing wise too right um trying to think uh because uh, we just had doug on he was mentioning um some work in that period um I yeah yeah could have sworn he said that um he he shared a similar regard for you sir (laughs) okay cool yeah and i'm hoping he watches this before we get him back on what's that
0: yeah i don't care if he likes me or not he's still awesome he's cool
1: no he, he spoke very fondly of you um let's see the Dave said, "My question was: any fun stories about players being able to kill solo mobs in unintended ways that made the devs have to change things up during that?" Part? Oh
0: yeah, of course. Well, I've always we had problems with our uh, pathing, so that you could skirt left and right, and and basically you know get a mob to run at you, put some dots on it, skirt to the other side, and then it would go, oh, never mind, and go all the way back around. So. You saw this in different areas and different zones. You saw people being able to get up on top of objects, and the mobs couldn't figure out how to get to them, so you, they just you just put dots on them and trying to exploit them. So the the exploiting of our pathing system and uh, was was always an ongoing tough thing that we had to deal with. Yeah, uh, the other thing would be <laughs> uh, players. Uh, doing creative training of mobs uh, so that that we really got we really had issues on the PvP server where monks would grab a bunch of high level mobs and they would train them into enemy players and mm-hmm. then feign death mm-hmm. and then those mobs would instantly aggro on the other players, kill them and then they'd lose experience so it became a way to grief people with experience loss so the, I I would say beyond that uh, where we got into trouble um, would, would be in certain combat situations where aggro is just too high for X, Y, Z. People would unexpectedly get it and get killed, so we'd have to look at adjusting hate levels on different right. spells or effects or buffs. That was always an ongoing uh, challenge for the design team. And the yeah. fact that as these mobs scaled up and they had way more hit points than our data structures allowed we had to change our data structures so that they could have millions of hit points or whatever they ended up having
1: yeah uh, we had fisher on here and he was talking about that as well um it's funny when you talk about training uh, as a gm i i'd, I'd get um on talent people would complain so-and-so trained me i'm like did you train them back That's the game. i mean That's the it, game. it seems like you've got the ability do you not have monks um so let's see. Uh, Dave said, follow up, I do, I do pathfinding code quite often. What was the metric used to determine when the pathing was good enough? Uh, I think it was a pretty basic A-star implementation, right? Right.
0: It's a basic A-star implementation. And uh, it, eventually we would, we would tune it so that we would just say, look, the, the NPC's distance to you is uh is is such that it's closer to you than if it switches to this other path. So maybe we're just going to let it go uh, for a little longer and see if it if it likes where it's going. So we we're, we're just trying to massage it. But uh, <clears throat> I don't know how it compares to modern everquest, is it any better?
1: I don't know. I just remember uh, uh, that was one of those things. Pathing, fixing pathing was just one of those things that anybody that was coming on the team you got you got some exposure to because we were right. constantly adjusting it. Right,
0: uh, and then I, I says, think it's not some, really <laughs> or not really, <laughs> but I think at least there's code now to where if you're exploiting something, it just resets. Right, it either teleports you to it, so now it doesn't have to path to you and it can just wallop you, or it uh, it it resets. So those are usually when as developers we can't figure something out we teleport you to the problem or we just make
1: <laughs> nice okay so we we had you at EQ and then essentially then that led up to your most recent gig which I think um, it's, some people probably have heard a little bit about maybe
0: Yeah, I, I spent, I, I spent a year working with Matt on the, uh, kinetic game. And then I had, uh, started consulting with, uh, Intrepid for the, uh, Ashes of Creation MMO. And this was right before they were going to kickstart. So, uh, and after they kickstarted and I saw how well it was received as a game that was going to be more, Hardcore and also have some nice end game PvP focus. Uh, you know, I, I really wanted to be a part of it. I mean, it has a lot of elements in it that appeal to me from MMOs perspective. Uh, the fact that you know you're building this world with other players that it that it's responding to your agency player agency is mm-hmm. good. The fact that the world changes based on your decisions or how it evolves, and that could be different than World Server B that I have in Alta, and that's really nice. Right. Uh, the economics of it are fascinating to me, that there's regional uh, banks, that there's not a worldwide bank, and that you have to transport goods and services across dangerous areas, including open water, uh, and risk it getting ripped off. By other players or enemy NPCs, so all those things kind of uh, appeal to me. The fact that the uh, the vast majority or majority of the of the POIs are available for contested content, right? So that's fascinating to me because if you if you remember, we we'd all be standing in a in a dungeon in EQ yelling, you know whatever level in class looking for a group right and i i i see some of that coming back like people are trying to look for groups to go do and then claiming areas to camp like hey no we've we've got the we've got the crypt you can't Mm -hmm. get that unless you come in and you kill us then you can have it (laughs) right so uh it it but at the same time it's not Talon Zek where you just you you can't murder hobo everyone because there's a flagging system and that flagging system uh, makes it so that if you if you are going to be that kind of person you're going to suffer deleterious effects.
1: Some of the some of the concepts that you're describing even when you were describing um, just sort of the the fact that you'd have to caravan or, or transport goods. Uh, between different regions, et cetera, um, immediately reminded me of the then the um, conversations we've had here with guests who are talking about Vanguard and, and sort of Brad's thoughts with in, in the same regard. I think maybe Todd was hitting on it, maybe Doug. Um, and again, to create that really strong world sense while also sure. then having gameplay that's a natural sort of fallout of that, um, do you see other similarities where because it feel I feel like you've 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 been a part of the evolution of this genre across products that feel like they've been leading up to the one you're currently working on? Are are there more yeah. things?
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities um when I look at the vision for Vanguard and also what the vision for Ashes is both games want to be seamless MMOs. Both games want to have compelling economics. Both games wanted to give the players some kind of agency to affect the world. Uh, Both games wanted to tend toward a more photorealistic or realistic uh, rendering style. Mm. Both games wanted to be more hardcore and have uh, uh, a high risk uh, versus reward metric. Right. So right. Uh, ashes of, of creation, the way Steven envisions it, it's, it's high risk, high reward. If you're willing to take risks and you excel and you win, then you get rewarded appropriately. If you're, if you're not willing to take risks then you don't, so, right. it's, uh, it, it's in many ways, they have similar design philosophies and a similar approach. Um, I think now the tools and the technology is, is much more readily available and attainable for supporting that in ashes than it was, uh, in the early two thousands.
1: Yeah. I mean, and early to the, the listening to the recent interviews, I think the, the clarity with which Stephen articulates like the vision for it, it, it feels like, um, there's a degree of confidence when I listen to that. That in, when I listen to other, you know, interviews in the past for games, etc., there wasn't that same sort of. It was more of like we think we're going to, as opposed to this is what we're doing. Um, and there's, you know, there's definitely been mentioned to the fact that I, we've learned from these other games in the past. Um, yeah, 100%. Are you? I mean, do you feel the same way? Do you have that same sort of like, this is, this is one of those things that now that the tech is caught up and we've got these lessons in the hand, it's a lot less scary or is it still like, I mean, all games are scary, I guess, but.
0: i are the scariest because we're, we're talking particularly in this game of having, you know, castle sieges or taking down a full city or a metropolis with hundreds of people fighting it out. So, mm. you know, Doing large scale sims like that is always a challenge, but the, you're right about the conviction level. The conviction level is certainly there. Like we're convinced this is exactly what we're doing and this is what we're making and this is what it's going to be. And, and that's what we're building and that's what's happening. And so that, that's very refreshing. Like the, the vision for the game is very thoughtful and very good and very well laid out. So there might be things that we don't know at the minutia level that we play test or we uh, massage, but uh, on the whole, uh, having that direction is fantastic. Having that conviction is fantastic. Steven's been playing games since he was MMO since he was seven years old, and he's just it's his favorite genre. He's super into it. He came out of retirement to make that game, so he's gonna make he's going to make his dream game. Come hell of yeah. high water.
1: I mean, looking at it, so I just I started playing. Um, there's a great, just great write-up, or not write-up, but video by the Lazy Peon that sort of goes through pretty quickly. Like, hey, here are all the high points. And for me, as someone that was just kind of catching up with a lot of this stuff, like seeing it, seeing, um, you know, basically hearing uh, the conversation with Steven and Asmund, um, like, as I go through this, first of all, it's, I mean... It looks fantastic. Um, what I've seen yeah. of it is incredible. Um, and then to hear these systems articulated, um, and in in a way where when I listen to it, I'm like, "Well, shit that that just makes sense." Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I'm always. I, I got to be honest. I'm always. I'm always going to be like skeptical until I'm like hands on and seeing something. But again, the right. level of conviction is uh, is huge.
0: Yeah, it is. It's it. The I love the design and the way that it flows. And what I also love is if you're into player versus player stuff, the game will appeal to you. If you're not, you never have to do it. It's it's going to be fine, right? You, I mean, you might get ganked occasionally, but other than that, it's it's going to be rare. People don't want to flag for PvP, and then. Get hunted down by a posse, but yeah. That, so there you see a, one of our metropolis. So that would be like a level six uh, node when it's uh, fully decked out.
1: Yeah, full blown.
0: Right, and of course that can be sieged and raised to the ground. So a nearby city that maybe your guild uh, is uh, has pledged to is, is our citizens of can go ahead and and rise supreme and build your city up so that it's the dominant node. And What BIs you're just saying, is it's going to be a big world.
1: That's what stood out to me. What you were just describing was basically like I don't know if I want to PvP, right? Like it sounds like you, uh, I can tell you're going to be ganking people. That one's easy. Based on the the last hour's conversation, that one's clear. For me, it's like I've I've had off on experiences uh, with PvP and MMOs, and I'm kind of like meh. But I feel like you know from what I've heard, there's opportunity to be a productive part of like, you know, th- this this group, this, you know, I, I was about to say node. I don't know if that's a proper terminology, but basically. Cause... And, um, you know, I could do something like be a shop owner or I could be a part time adventurer or, you know, like participate in some ways. Or I-, I could see where escorting caravans or something like that may be a hell of a lot of fun. Right. That's something I always wanted to do in Planetside. Right. I was yeah, like,
0: you could escort a caravan on the land or you could do it on the sea if you want to be in a in a frigate. So there's opportunities for people to hire themselves out as mercenary bands to protect these things against, uh, NPCs, bandits, pirates, and then also against any player incursions. So there's, there's, there's a, there's a beautiful economy that's going to exist, but there's also this, this player driven element of it too, that makes it fantastic. I mean, you can <clears throat> imagine if you're into crafting, you could craft forever and just yeah. get into that.
1: So everybody, like I always play these little weird characters, right? Like right now I've been playing around with a, it's a, He's a gnome that's a rogue. Um, but the chat can turn on permadeath for me. So if I die at any point, um they turn it on, turn it off based off spending points in here, um in my in oh, the Twitch harsh. stream. And uh oh th- the rest of these guys have been doing way harsher. I'm actually kinda cheating by having it turned off on occasion. But I've mainly just been making armor and shit. And so like I'm I've got this right. character in my mind of like he's this he's a smith, you know, he's making stuff, he's basically a coward, but Like in my mind, there's always I want that opportunity for something heroic or something weird. In in this game, do you think um, to really get shit done, I'm going to have to just be a part of a guild, or could I be? Could I? Could I feel like I matter in this world, like just as an individual?
0: Yeah, because you're you're pledging as a citizen to to one of these nodes, and that's your home now. That's where all your services are. That's where these different uh, non-player uh, uh, factions exist that, that you might join and gain benefits and level up in. So it, I feel like it's, it's, it's easily something that any solo person can get into or anyone not in a guild. Uh, you have the ability to set up your own uh, homestead and have your own uh, crop resources or smithing set up. So I think there's a, a huge opportunity for anybody to get in, play the game, have a blast, and and only take advantage of those systems or those elements that appeal to you. Some people will get in and just run across the world and just look at the graphics, mm-hmm. and that's that's awesome. That's fine. They they might never level past ten, but it doesn't. Whatever whatever their experience they want to have, they can have.
1: Yeah, it definitely seems like there, there's plenty there if you're just an explorer you know like right um the dungeons
0: some, are crazy big they're huge
1: there's some footage of i think uh the early footage in this video where the the all the fire and the bear was running through that was on the inside of a dungeon wasn't it? it it seemed like um if i remember the videos correctly or i think they'll show more later um so the other i guess the other thing sort of bringing it back around to a lot of our earlier questions was when we think of like how many of us have just been like fascinated by the Kunark stories that you're telling us? Right? It's such a rich world. Like going into Kunark, it really feels like something that it makes absolute sense when you talk about the fact that this was your D&D campaigns because it came from someone's imagination and love. Like I feel that with Kunark. With the way that the world's designed here in AOC is it will that still exist? Like when we're will these dungeons feel like these types of dungeons, or do, is there a little bit that's more of a? Does it feel a little more procedural or programmatic? Or
0: no, I think it's exactly like that because Steven comes at this as a game master, as a world creator, as somebody who has a specific history and vision written for all of this. And hmm. then working with his design team to implement it down to the to the uh, to the to the micro level from the macro, and so it, for me it, it feels very much like the Canark approach, where he's taking all of these passionate, great story ideas from his gaming experiences and his imagination, and then bringing it to the design team, and then they're like, yes. Let's do this, and let's do these other cool things. So I feel all of these. The story is really awesome. I love the underlying story of it all, and I love how it will tie into all the POIs. So mm. yeah, I feel like it's 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 going to be very connected and compelling. It's very no, appealing that, to me because of that.
1: No, that sounds fantastic. And it, you know, we
0: we play pen and paper games so we're always feeding off each other and and looking at different cool elements that we encounter or create during our pen and paper sessions and that, that's just more fuel for the fire for content
1: i could have sworn that he he mentioned that's how it got started like the the relationship was it you or, or he mentioned playing was it was it pen and paper or magic or something with some folks from sony
0: yeah I, I, he he used to he would, he would go to into the game shop that's where I met him he would go into one of the local game shops and he's a big magic player really good at magic uh loves playing uh tactical games who's big uh, uh warhammer fantasy player and that's how I met him through a friend of mine who's uh who's a gamer who I worked with on eQ and uh, Stephen was thinking about starting up a uh, an MMO company and uh, uh making a the next uh big thing mm-hmm. and uh so we got introduced and we just rapped about it and then later on we started gaming together so we would, were playing pathfinder and uh it's it's great I mean, when we do a charity live stream uh once a year and we we usually uh he usually runs pathfinder for uh, a large part of it 12 to 18 hours or something crazy i don't know how he does oh, it. that's amazing He's a fantastic game master. Really, really good.
1: No, that's again. That's great to hear. It feels like it feels like all the various pieces came together. Um, it, you know, based on what you're describing. And again, I've been slowly catching up on things, but it feels like financially he had the capability to have enough independence to do something that um, you know uh, he could do without a lot of interference. And it sounds like he's got. The, the background and the history with it as well. So uh, combine that with the technical experience and the game design experience and all the rest of the experience that's coming in, especially being in that area. Um,
0: yeah, there's so many MMO vets and, and Sony vets uh, and talented people on the team. So uh, that that helps enormously. Uh, we don't have to recreate the same mistakes um, that we've made in the past, uh, or that, you know, new game does make. So that yeah. really is wonderful. We're really fortunate. Like our design team's crazy good. So, uh, I'm looking forward to everything that they
1: create. Awesome. So we, we, I think because we started about 30 minutes early, we're, we're coming up on the two hour mark and like a I definitely appreciate every bit of time that you're willing to give us um but i also i want to be considerate of your time as well um so you want, to, you want to rip through some of these questions yeah absolutely that's what i was about to say if we can get some more questions in and if, if you've got time to answer them that'd be fantastic
0: don't i start at, let me scroll up here and i'll come down
1: And guys in chat, if I missed anything before, feel free to repost it.
0: Nick says, how has it been working in Intrepid Studios? It's phenomenal because my uh, because our leader, Stephen, is phenomenal. So um, it, when you're working in an environment that's super collaborative and very flat and not pyramidal, and you can just go and collaborate with people at any time, just walk up to a designer and say, I have this really cool idea and have them crush your soul by saying, it's not really that great. That's awesome. (laughs) But seriously, it's, you can go and talk to anyone about anything. And, uh, it, it's just so collaborative and everybody is so nice and so jovial and so passionate about their work. So that makes for a great studio and a great product. So it's been so far, it's been amazing. It's the best, Company I've worked at in my career, for sure. Uh, let's see what else. Um, why does it seem that cheats are not addressed? Things like show EQ and and so forth. Well, show EQ's is tricky, right? So they packet sniff uh, or MaxiQ or any of these programs. They're, they're, they they packet sniff off. Usually, they have another. Uh, like maybe a Linux uh, machine that's looking at... Infer- so the, the way to fix cheats is to change your packets so you don't send information that players aren't supposed to have. But that usually requires a lot of work, so that might be one reason why that's not done. And when you're talking about a product that's like 20 years old, like, you know, is is it really needed at this point? Right. If, if are, are these four people over here, or 10 people? I mean, ShowEQ is more of a problem for PVP. Because you're aware of when enemy people come in your zone and and you can react and go kill them. Or when you enter a zone, you can see where they are and go kill them. So um, I think at this point in the modern era, what we try and do is only send things to the client that the client really needs to know. Because no matter what we do, somebody will disassemble that information and find out stuff. Uh, Let's see what else it says reputation community is quite different in recent MMOs due to instancing and, is that immersion? Emerson losses? What's an Emerson loss?
1: Yeah, let me, let me, that was the one I was just on as well. I think uh, immersion, uh, instancing, immersion losses. Any thoughts uh, to bring this back? So I think they're, they're right. working together there. The
0: So I think you have to have a blend of uh, content, that is open world where people are interacting organically with each other. It's really weird when you say, I have a massively multiplayer game and everyone only exists in an instance with their four best friends. Right. Right. That's not, then you're playing a massively mini multiplayer game where you have a big world, but you only ever see people that you care about. Uh, so there, there's a balance in instanced uh, content. Versus uh, open world content. And that, that balance has to be hit. Yeah. Uh, are you designing Ashley Creation PvP to have similar experience in EQ PvP? Well, depends what you mean about similar experiences. Um, <laughs> EQ PvP was really poorly balanced and not well designed because the game wasn't made for that. Right. So from that standpoint, no. Uh, we're going to. And also, you could you could gank anyone in a level range. Um, that's going to be different because we're using the flagging system in Ashes. Excuse me, old men Cough. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else. Um, any thought of the religious debate between new and old models in EQ? Is that is that the Lucklin versus non Luckland models?
1: Yeah, I've got the feeling it is.
0: I mean. I, the option exists for you to play either right so or show either and I think even so it yeah it shouldn't I don't really have any thoughts on it It's whatever people's preferences
1: cool. And I just realized I, I kind of feel guilty now as I'm showing this in the background. I'll make sure that if I – because I forgot that I've been reposting these to YouTube. Um, I'll make sure that it's super linked to the Lazy Peon's um, site and to this video, et cetera. Like, everything he does on MMOs is fantastic. So, I've been plowing through yeah, that lately as well. Is. Um So, apologies for having it running in the background, Lazy Peon, without uh, – but I, I've got the feeling this is also – other footage that he's acquired, but I'll absolutely make sure that I I get that link out to you guys here again. And then also on the YouTube. Um,
0: so another one was how, how is the stress at testing scale going? Uh, very well. I mean, we have, um, our last test was something like 16 kilometer, uh, testing area, multiple dungeons, an underworld portion, uh, thousands of NPCs, um, in the dungeons and across the land, three of the city nodes, uh, plus a uh, the portal starting area. So, uh, we're getting very good performance, uh, not just on the client, but on our server processes. Cool. And yes, there are techniques that have been learned from other games to uh, scale uh, up. Uh, it's it's always going to be a challenge, but it's a challenge we welcome.
1: Cammon just asked, "Are dungeons going to be a mix of open world and instance, or all instance?"
0: For sure, a mix. Um, I think all of us, uh, the the team on Ashes, really like the old school EQ style. This is a this is a this is a thing that exists for everybody in its current state. And I'm going to go in, and Sean Ch- and I are going to go call the crypt, and we're going to camp that with our group. And everyone knows that's where we're at, and that's our thing. And when we're done, somebody else can take over that spot. And, uh, you know, fighting your way to that, having to deal with the the, the with interacting with other players, that's all really – experiential stuff that we all loved about EverQuest. But at the same time, there's going to be content that has to be instanced uh, yeah. for you. And, you know, this could be uh, some special story quest or something that design determines uh, they want to make a focused group experience or focused raid experience, and that's fine too. So there, it's, it's about finding the balance that, that's meaningful.
1: Stephen, uh, he's used the term a couple of yeah, times. I meant Stephen to
0: write if it if down. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: he calls it social. So I've always just called it social friction. But he's got another. There's a, a, a term for that. But again, it's that same philosophy of there's something about those interactions, those subtle interactions in those open world zones or those non instant zones that are so critical to creating like both an engaging world sense, but also those incidental interactions where you might get to know about somebody or get to actually know them or be aware of them or. Yeah.
0: If we think about it, how many of us met people that became lifelong friends or at least good friends through playing these online games and interacting with them? Sometimes even adversarial interactions, and having mutual respect and and whatnot. How, mo- how how many of us had nemesis people that we hated that we would log on just just you know just just not liking. And that too is another. That's another great. That's another source of great content. There's there's guilds in PlanetSide that I just detest, right? But they that's what keeps me logging in because I want to beat them. So that. It, there's something to that. If we just have a world that's very sterile and everyone's safe all the time, and they just go into their own instance and play, then why are you playing an MMO? Play a play a co-op multiplayer ARPG or something? Why? Yeah, well, why, it, why pay a sub?
1: It seems like then a lot of that sort of uh, the the some of the aggression thing just gets turned on your within that group that's been pieced together for not having enough DPS or some other shit. It's like. Um, that happens
0: where you're yeah. going to get yelled at if you're a tank and you join a group and you, you fuck up the pull. I mean, yeah. that's life. You know, there's no still, I, I believe the cost of your little bruised ego or whatever in the, in the short term, the long-term benefits of, of interacting and meeting with people, getting better at whatever class or role you're playing and, and establishing friendships and a social network, all of these for me, personally outweigh uh you know whatever minor uh mishaps that we experience on the journey like getting screwed on a trade or uh getting getting ganked while you're trying to to kill this named mob and get this item that you've been trying to get for two days you know that that's going to happen but that's part of the storytelling too who who you know you want people around sharing this experience with you so that you can tell these stories and reminisce on it. Uh, and if no one's there and you're just in some little instance by yourself, it, your story doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's like, I did this great thing. Yeah, that's nice. No one was yeah. there.
1: Yeah. yeah, the massively single-player experience is, is just not – I'd rather deal with the frustrations of, of actually being able to interact with other people.
0: Yeah, um, I agree. And, and with the flagging system, that's going to be fine. We're not going to have – if we have roving bands of PVPers, they're going to be cut down in short order. So it has to be the the combat and the contesting is going to be in a meaningful way.
1: The uh, Nick, sorry, I stepped on it before, Kevin, when you were uh, following up. Make, make Planetside 3. Tell Steven to make Planetside 3. Well, um, after this is a massive, massive success, and you're looking at the next thing, I guess... It, there's that tendency to go from fantasy to uh to shooter it's funny you described wanting to do that when you bounce over to planet Side. i felt the same way when i when i've got sort of yanked off the eq1 team to go to eq2 i was like can i go to planet side instead please i've uh yeah so who knows maybe that'll happen
0: yeah i don't i i steven loves gears of war like he's he so when it comes to shooters he really enjoyed that um he plays games of all styles. Uh, so I I don't know where his passion will take him next. Uh, but whatever it is, it's going to be cool because he's very, <clears throat> he's very invested in the fun factor in these games. And I feel he's a very good designer and creative force. Um, and he's somebody I can go to and say, I don't like this. And here's my logical reasons why and he will listen and then he will agree with you and then change it so he's he's not making giant ego-based decisions which
1: is fantastic right on no that's great to hear all right chat did did we miss anything Uh... chat are we good to go do you guys have some more questions What was going on with Map oh, yeah. of No Hope?
0: Yeah, I would say that that's one of the areas where you have those, uh, you know, named mobs that don't have loot. So I feel like, yeah, that that could have used more content. Love, I agree with you. We we had a small team. We only have so many people <laughs> making a billion zones with all these uh, quests and
1: uh, so much content.
0: There's a lot of content, right? Design really, really had to burn the midnight oil
1: frank says when are you coming back i think i think he's in a new world now i think it's it's it sounds like it's going to be up to us to go uh, go visit him in a new place
0: yeah for uh, and again you can you can there, oh, there will the stream somebody will make new uh new e-requests, right somebody will grab the reins on the ip and make new content and they're still making new content you hmm. know after 20 years so I think you always have something to look forward to when it comes to EverQuest.
1: And Frank followed up and said, I mean to the stream. Um, I tell you what, like I'm And yes to
0: Nick, there's a huge debate on that. Planet Side One versus Two.
1: Planet Side One so, versus
0: Two? Yeah, I said was there a huge debate on making Planet Side Two uh, too much or too little like Planet Side 1? Yes, there was a big debate. Planet Side 2 is markedly different than Planet Side 1, and there were debates around that. My favorite EQ2 zone, uh, uh, honestly, c- Crushbone. Uh, or, no, uh, State of Unrest. Yeah, Unrest probably is my favorite, just because those those ghouls would, would root people and I'd just watch them just get trained by the ghosts and the shit in the basement <laughs> of the house and die and I'd chuckle because I was there, it happened to me it happened to my wife, happened to everybody that's the zone I remember a lot
1: yeah Nick said both of those zones were great Fader is a great continent yeah yeah, so funny. we've been we've been playing through the TLP um, ever since Aerodune came up. Uh, basically, that's what got me streaming EverQuest. Um, been that's streaming awesome. other stuff before, and was like, "All right, I'd come back." My girlfriend actually played EQ for the first time um, as part of this. Um, and still a still a wait list on Eridun? No, the queues have gotten better. Yeah, the queues have gotten Good. better. It was crazy those first couple of weeks. Um, so plus i'm in sweden so it really didn't bother me very much because most yeah, of you guys are asleep this. and so but it's felt so much like old eq and so kunark is coming out uh mid month this month coming up oh, no august kidding. and so i am so amped to go in and basically like just relive it because honestly being on Aerodune for the last like uh what what's it been like two months now has felt so much like that original experience. Not absolutely. What's,
0: what's different about Aridun than, say, other progression servers, if anything?
1: I hadn't played on any of the other progression servers. So I don't know. The, these guys that have been, like, on everyone could tell you maybe nothing. Um, I, I had trouble getting back in to eq whenever i'd come back to my main because he's like level 65 the content had moved on my guild had moved on i'd come back to starting cities would be a ghost town and i'd just be depressed and like kick a few rocks around and then log back out um yeah. and coming back in and like seeing people in the newbie zones again and like having people around like you know when you're hanging out around Kelethan or whatever it makes all the difference to me and so like oh, yeah. going into Kunark coming up i'm so amped for it um and so in Cold rush time right dude it's it's uh, it's funny i had goosebumps when you're just describing like kunark when you first got on you're talking about the sort of design process and where it came from and in, in terms of it being a part of your life and i'm like thinking ahead to like ploughing into this shit coming up soon and it's like it's a weird mix of the nostalgia for what it was like when I first rolled like an XR and ran around there and just had my mind blown um, right. and then rolled in and had my mind blown in a different way when I was going in with my main and going into different zones. Um, so it's like that mix of like those feelings again, but knowing it's also coming up again and then getting to talk to you is like so badass. Um I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, I know it's Sunday morning and you probably you're making a massive, incredible mmos i'm sure you don't have a shitload of free time um if you know uh i tell you what if you think of anything that you didn't get a chance to discuss today or if you know just whatever if you had a good time if you like our community and you you know like would want to come back at some point we'd definitely love to have you back on the stream um and it's it's oh ryan just uh, so ryan barker from the eq team just popped in just now. nice hey ryan yeah so uh, we've got some of the we've got some of the other eq folks etc like in here and it's just it's turned ryan out to be rocks. such I, a good I time like ryan a lot he's a decent guy to, he's okay
0: he's way decent we we got to work together on eq1 when i was on uh Expansion content after Side Two—that was that was dope—and then we got to work together on Ashes, which was also awesome.
1: Yeah, no, I love Ryan. I mean, I think when you ask what's been different as well, like so coming back and streaming and like having essentially a guild like, sort of materialize. I didn't expect that. Like, I was expecting maybe two or three people would watch the stream, and if I'm lucky, I could track down somebody like Ryan and some of the old crew. And, yeah. like, just having people in here while I'm playing, like, talking and sharing stories about what's about to happen with the future expansions and just all the nostalgia and shit, like, essentially that sense of community is always yeah, it's always so huge, good. part of EQ and, like, part of MMOs that seems missing more and more these days. And so yeah, I agree. think... For me, that that's also been a big deal.
0: It is a huge deal. I think uh, so these, you know, like EverQuest, older older games are showing, uh, are showing us that community is important, social interaction is important, and that's what makes it so fun and all these stories so compelling. You know, years later. So, how about a chat? What's different about the um, the progression server? Or is it the same?
1: Yeah, is it, has it been the same for you guys? Longer cues? They don't know. They don't know.
0: I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna have to maybe jump in there and make a character.
1: Same old, I same could, old. Uh, Bobby says. Then I could do. I asked. So yeah, you making a character would be awesome, especially for Kunark. Yeah, that would be fun.
0: So, yeah, we have, uh, there's people at, at work, uh, at Intrepid that play EQ, uh, uh, 1999.
1: Um, Bobby just asked, and I'm not going to repeat that out loud, Bobby. I'll let him answer that if he said it, but, uh, let's see. Um, Ryan said, I haven't played uh TLP in like 10 years, so it's hard to judge. Um, Yeah, no. Just uh, it's been amazing. Just running around and biting random people and turning them into friends. Yeah, I've, I've again. It feels like the same thing. I've like I've met a lot of red people in game. Um, a lot of a lot of people just through the stream though. Um, so yeah, are they
0: all? Uh, would you say that the community that you're experiencing on the server is older? Um, like I would. You're not getting a ton of young people. Yeah
1: so it's interesting because the community on the server, I think skews a bit older when I, as I'm uploading these videos to YouTube, I can start to get some demographic data. Um, and it's, it's as you would think, um, well, actually a bit younger than maybe you're thinking. Um, Uh, But I think that's also skewed by the people that are interested in AOC as well. After Akil's, when I put Akil's video up, um, naturally that that brought some eyes on from AOC. Um, But there's this sort of core group of people that seem to be in their mid-30s. Wow,
0: that's impressive.
1: Yeah, so 25 to 35 year old is kind of what I'm seeing numbers wise within the second biggest segment being, you know, 35 plus. Right. Um, so a uh, few of us there. And then um, right behind that, not crazy below it, is um, the younger segment coming in. Um, so right. off by a few percentage points. Um, I'm noticing that a lot of people that come and chat will sort of describe getting into EQ when they're real, real young. Like, hey, I was six, and my dad let me, you know, like push buttons. Or a lot of people are coming and saying they're like ten or eleven.
0: Right. And you know, I've so, had that too, where a guy I met—I um, I don't know what game we we're playing, D and D or something, or Warhammer—and he basically was nine or ten or eleven, and was playing with his parents. It was a family thing. They did. They played EverQuest together, and so he he found out. I knew. Brad McQuaid and he lost his shit. He was like, Oh my God. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go meet with Brad. We're going out for Chinese food. You want to go? And he's like, Oh my God. So we went and got Chinese food with Brad. It was fun.
1: It's got to be the coolest yeah. experience. Yeah. We got a number of people now in chat saying, Started at 12, started at yeah. 10, Frank. Um, Inkley, you're 31. All right. So that again, when we track back, that's like that 10 11 range. I can't imagine how rad it must have been to be a kid and be like 10, 11, 12 and have EverQuest in my hands. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so yep. a lot of folks in chat sort of repeating that that same thing.
0: I think I was 30, around 30 when it launched.
1: I think I was like 24, 25
0: put way too many hours into that game holy crap think of all the foreign languages and things we could have learned instead of playing everquest had,
1: uh, I, not, had I not played everquest i would not be sitting in a foreign country today though probably
0: that's, that's probably true and i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing either so
1: yeah. so it's time well spent it is all right kevin
0: Well, thank you very much, Sean. You're awesome, awesome host. Thank you, Chad. Great questions, and you are all very awesome as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, I I know a thousand percent as soon as we get off here, there are going to be a million questions that we wish we'd asked you about Kunark and other stuff along the way. So I'll follow up with you and just kind of see how it goes. But, dude, I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, Um, it's, it's my pleasure. And we didn't get a chance to meet. Like, I think you were. I came in in uh, 2000. By then you were you were gone, and then I was in Austin, Texas when you came back. Right. So I, I missed you both ways. So um, I, I'm really amped to be able to meet you in this way. And um, and yeah, man, thanks a ton. Well,
0: thanks. Well, it's all it's all you. You reached out to me, and I really appreciate that. Uh, but those were great heady times. Loved uh, working on the design and just on Canark in general. Love playing it so much fun
1: right on it's it is uh for many of us it's our favorite expansion
0: right on that's cool exactly boom he's watching over me he's like my um statue of protection plus one (sighs) all right well thank you chad i'm gonna bail and then uh I'll, I'll try and answer follow-up questions sean thank you so much for hosting appreciate
1: it absolutely it's totally my pleasure not bullshitting on that and yeah uh feel free to whenever you want like pop onto the stream as well pop in the chat i'll hit you up in discord and then we'll just kind of go from there um cool. cool all right
0: later ryan barker
1: and i always screw up to pushing the button part of it bye-bye <laughs>